Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. What's going on? Thanks for tuning in. We have a really awesome show for you today where 
we welcome Dr. Robert Enright and we talk about forgiveness. And I want to read his full professional bio because it is quite impressive. Normally, we try to keep these short. This one's going to be a little longer, but you're going to want to listen. Dr. Enright holds the Aristotelian Professorship in Forgiveness Science within the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's a licensed psychologist and co-founder of the International Forgiveness Institute, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to the dissemination of knowledge about forgiveness and community renewal through forgiveness. And the really exciting thing is he's really just the unquestioned pioneer in the scientific study of forgiveness, having published the first empirically based journal article on person to person forgiveness in 1989. And he's been called the forgiveness trailblazer by time magazine and is often introduced as the father of forgiveness research. And you'll know why when you listen to today's show and obviously having heard his bio, but Robert has a lot of extensive knowledge in this that you will be able to apply to yourself in your relationships. Yeah, he does give us a great foundation of walking through the process of forgiveness. So maybe you're struggling with forgiveness in your relationship or friendship. This episode is a great place to start and then followed by all of his blogs and he's written a couple books on forgiveness. So we hope you guys check it out. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, for sharing the podcast with your friends and family, for leaving us those reviews. We appreciate it. And uh, if you have a chance, check out our website, idpodcast.com, where we have a ton of free resources, over 300 episodes, and the link to our online course, Spark My Relationship where you can get $100 off the course. So we hope you guys check out the website and enjoy today's episode. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's my honor to be with you, Sarah. Robert, we are excited to talk to you today about forgiveness. And you have extensive scientific study of forgiveness, one of the first to really do it. And so who better to talk about this than yourself? So thank you for coming on the show. Let's dive in and talk about why you chose to study forgiveness. And then we'll talk about what it looks like, the psychology of it, and how we can get better at it individually and in our relationships. Sure. Well, I was hired in 1978 by the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Educational Psychology Department to study moral issues. And at the time, academics were very complacent and all falling in line under the umbrella of justice or how people think about justice or how they be fair to others. And I was very obedient to that. And I got tenure studying that question about how people think about fairness and I had my grants and all that. And I woke up one day and my, asked myself a very dangerous question. I asked, who am I helping by my research? And I concluded, well, a few of my academic friends whom I meet once a year at conferences and we pat ourselves on the back and then off we go. And so I decided, I used the expression, I threw all my research over a cliff on, on justice 
And I had a lot of publications and I've never gone back and read one word of those. And so I started asking myself the question, what in the area of morals, the idea of virtues or values, might be helpful to people? And the idea of forgiveness kept coming up. And so I, back then, it was actually 1985 when I finally decided to not comply with academic conformity. I actually it was so primitive back then, I actually had to walk to the library to get information. And so I went and asked the librarian to do a search of the scientific published literature on the topic of forgiveness. And a half hour later, she came back and she had a blank piece of paper and said, there isn't any. So I thought, ooh, this might be an area where you could really carve out a career. And so I asked a number of graduate students from different world zones like Israel and Greece and uh, Saudi Arabia if they wanted to sit around with me in a Friday seminar to start talking about forgiveness and called it the Friday Forgiveness Seminar, and it's still going to this day. And I didn't realize because I was naive, but a firestorm happened for me. Academia didn't like me anymore because they said forgiveness in the hard-headed realm of social science, why we're above that. That's much too soft and mushy. You're going to ruin your career. And I thought, so be it. And the graduate students and I continued, and now there are many thousands of researchers and many thousands of therapists following our lead. So I'm glad I didn't listen to those who like to conform. We are glad as well. So let's dive in. What did you find about the psychology of forgiveness? Well, what we basically found was that forgiveness is a paradox in that you are trying to be good to those who are not good to you. And that's partly why it was so controversial. It seemed counterintuitive to the social scientific mind. And we realized that when people follow a particular pathway of forgiveness that we call the process model and give themselves enough time, really good things happen. Where when you've been treated unjustly by others and you paradoxically struggle to be good to those who are not good to you, your self-esteem can rise, your anger, anxiety, and depression can go down, and your sense of hope for the future can go up. And so we've done this kind of work in drug rehabilitation, people who, who women who've had the violence of incest, we've worked with women who've been uh, in relationships that have gone bad, and we've done forgiveness education with youth in Iran and inner city Milwaukee and Belfast, Northern Ireland. And in virtually all cases, people basically get their lives back when they've been crushed by the injustices of others. Can you talk a little bit about the process model for forgiveness and walk us through it? Yeah, it's basically a roadmap. And we have to realize that forgiveness is not something new. It's new in the social sciences, but it's ancient. It has its roots in Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism. And but all of those are telling you how to live the right life. And they don't provide necessarily a roadmap for how you go about forgiveness, even though they all honor forgiveness. And so that was part of our job in the social sciences. And so this 
process model has what we call four phases. And the first phase, we give the person the freedom to grieve what has happened, to be angry about what has happened, to be confused about what has happened, and not rush the forgiveness process. And people begin to realize in this first phase that we call the uncovering phase, that there are a lot of effects that happen unexpectedly when we've been treated very unfairly, like we lose sleep, we ruminate on the issue, we don't let it go, uh, we, uh, we become very pessimistic. And so we bring all of that out with people and they say, hey, you know, the way I'm living my life after being treated so unfairly is not in my best interest. And so then we move to the second phase that we call the decision phase, where we ask, would you like to try forgiveness? It's nothing forced on anybody. It's whether they want to give it a shot or not. Most people at that point, when they realize how deeply and negatively they've been affected by injustice, say yes. So in the decision phase, we go through what forgiveness is. We say, well, when you forgive, you will try to get rid of resentment, which is what I call anger on steroids. It's a lot of anger that won't quit over a long period of time. And you will try to offer goodness of some kind, such as kindness or respect or generosity or love toward the other person. You won't be excusing what the other did. You won't be abandoning justice. You won't forget. And you may or may not reconcile. Reconciliation isn't a moral virtue like forgiveness. And so uh, reconciliation is a two-way street. You say yes and the other says yes. If the other doesn't say yes to that, you can forgive without reconciling. Do you want to do it? So when people say yes, we enter the work phase, the third of four phases, and we start with thinking. And the thinking exercises we do before feeling exercises because we're usually not in control of our own feelings. So we go through what we call the personal, global, and cosmic perspectives. The personal perspective is basically this. Who is the one who hurt you? Do we define that person forever? only by those actions against you? Or is there more to the person than that? Is the person wounded? Out of the person's own woundedness, did they wound you? And so we look at the history of the one who hurt you. And oftentimes, the one who hurts you, if it's grave, oftentimes has grave wounds from others, maybe from childhood. And now they're dumping the truck onto you. And so we see the person not as evil incarnate, defining that person only by what they have done, but we see a wounded person. That's the personal perspective. And then the global perspective asks about to see if you can see the shared humanity you have with the other, the unconditional worth you both have, because you're both special, unique, and irreplaceable in this world. Look at your DNA. There's never a person like you ever. Never will be once you die. Same with the one who hurt you. If you cut, you bleed. If the other cuts, the other bleeds. And you're both going to die one day. So we see a shared humanity, a common worth, an unconditional worth, what we call an inherent built-in worth that isn't earned. So we put those two together where you see a wounded person who shares a lot with you. 
And then we, depending on the person's worldview, we may enter into what we call a cosmic perspective or a transcendent or a spiritual perspective, but not if a person doesn't have a spiritual view. But if the person does, for example, let's say you're working with someone who comes from a Judeo-Christian perspective, we ask this, is it true or not that you have been made in the image and likeness of God? That's in Genesis 1, and it's repeated in that very chapter. Okay, I'm made in the image and likeness of God, and so we have a little drum roll, please, and we ask, well, is it true that the one who hurt you is made in the image and likeness of God? So when we put all three perspectives together, we see much more broadly than we're used to seeing. And we see the person is wounded, sharing a common humanity, and both made in the image and likeness of God, loved by God. And then we say, then who is this other person? And when we start seeing that, we begin to see what I call movement of the heart. Some even a little tiny bit of compassion toward the other starting to emerge naturally without forcing it. And a compassion is to suffer along with the other. And then still in the work phase, once the person gets strong enough, we say, are you willing to bear the pain of what happened so you don't throw the pain back to the other person? Which is quite heroic, actually, because you're not taking the eye for an eye anymore. And so when a person can see more broadly who the other is and soften the heart toward the other and is standing in the pain so you're not throwing the pain back to the other, we ask, well, who are you? I mean, think about that. You're standing in pain for another person. Who are you? And the self-esteem starts rising at that point. And then when they're strong enough to bear the pain, we ask, and this is getting at the moral virtue nature of forgiveness now, we say, are you willing to give a gift of some kind to the one who hurt you? See, that's what got me into all the trouble in the first place in academia, Giving a gift to the one who hurt you, well, that's absurd. Well, no, not if you're practicing forgiveness. You might give a smile or return phone call. If the person's deceased, you might contribute to charity in the person's name. And that's the paradox of forgiveness, where you're giving where the world would tell you not to. Then we end up with the fourth phase or the discovery phase where we start to see new meaning in what we've suffered. What usually happens here when people go through the work phase is they become more sensitive to the suffering of others. They're attuned to it with their spouse, they're attuned to it with their children, with their co-workers, not necessarily the one who hurt them. And so they see that this suffering was not for nothing. And then people develop a new purpose in life. For example, one gentleman with whom I worked is in prison for life. And he said, I'm not going to get out. But my task now in prison is to help alleviate the resentments of those who are in prison with me. And so he's being a conduit of good, a healer within prison. Near the end of this discovery phase, what we tend to find is what we find scientifically. People are released from the emotional prison where the anger, anxiety, and depression go down, the hope and the self-esteem rise as the person forgives the person gets one's life back. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. 
When you work full time, have kids, and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it they make it easy. No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase when using the code IDO when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month, and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. Money is one of the biggest stressors in relationships. While worrying about it doesn't help a ton, Earnin actually does. Our sponsor, Earnin, is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Many couples end up fighting about finances, especially when surprise costs arise. Earnin allows you to seamlessly deal with that unexpected trip to the vet or the last minute gift for loved ones without any stress, letting you and your partner focus on what really matters. Earnin is helping millions of Americans to feel self-sufficient and to worry and fight less about money. All of this without debt trap, mandatory fees, or credit checks. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download Earnin app, type in relationship advice under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. That's relationship advice under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Well, thank you for laying that all out so beautifully. I know a lot of work went into mm-hmm. developing those phases. What would you tell someone who is stuck in a phase? Maybe we could start with just phase one of freedom to grieve and someone's angry and that's good. But what if we're just staying angry and we can't go into the decision phase in phase two? Well, that's okay. You see, we have to give people permission for that. We have to give people permission to be who they are. Sometimes that anger phase can last for weeks. 
weeks after the person comes to say, look, I need some help with this. And that's not at all dishonorable because being treated unjustly can lead to these wounds that people literally can carry to their grave. And so if the person remains angry to such a degree that it looks like the person cannot get out of that, here's what we tend to do. We say, does this person whom you are trying to forgive remind you of somebody else who hurt you? And characteristically, that is the case. Let's say you're having trouble forgiving your spouse. Let's say the spouse is female. Uh, Oftentimes, what happens when the one trying to forgive the female spouse stays very angry and entrenched in that, the spouse, the female, is actually reminding the forgiver of the mother, one's own mother, and how one grew up. So every time you look at your spouse, you are reminded of your mother, and that anger wells up, and so you're not getting unstuck from your spouse. So we say, hold the phone here. Let's not continue forgiving your spouse. Let's take some time out and forgive your mom first. And that could take months. And once one forgives mom, now one one looks at one's spouse, that anger doesn't tumble into that relationship. And the person now can much more freely go ahead into the decision phase with the spouse. It's rare, but when it happens, we definitely have a move to make to free the person of that anger. For individuals who are in a romantic relationship, can they engage their partner in this process of forgiveness? Obviously, it can be done kind of on your own, but how much of it is collaborative or could be collaborative? Ideally, it should be collaborative. One of the goals of forgiveness is reconciliation. But because we don't have control of, over the other's behavior and will, it doesn't always happen. But a major goal of forgiveness is to give your hand to the one who fell into the pit and say, here, take my hand and come up to a higher level so we can be equal again in how we treat one another. Some people try to bite your hand off when you do that. Others will willingly take it and say, thank you. And so it's very important that forgiveness be entered into mutually. But again, it's a free will decision. Both have to willingly say yes to that. And when they do, Truly beautiful things can happen for relationships, far greater than people might imagine when they don't have forgiveness on the table for discussion, which sadly doesn't happen enough. Have you found in your research that when there is reconciliation, that those relationships are even better or people's self-esteem is even stronger than if it was just the forgiveness aspect of it? Well, we don't know the answer to that because forgiving can be so idiosyncratic. But we do know that when people do practice forgiving together, where they both forgive and both seek forgiveness, it's not just forgiving, but seeking forgiveness, very good things happen. We haven't done comparative studies, so I can't really answer that question, Sarah. But we do know that people can get the relationships back, not just their individual lives back. And But then the lesson learned is keep doing that, even for the small things, so that if there's a big thing that they have to climb the mountain to forgive, let's say infidelity, for example, 
which indeed can be overcome through forgiving and seeking forgiveness, uh, continue that when you forget to bring home the milk when you promised you would, or you're having a bad day. Uh, keep the forgiveness process alive in the family. What would you tell someone who is in phase two and they're working to get rid of resentment and they're just really struggling? They're really struggling to not hold that. And let's say in the context of a romantic relationship, what are some things they can think about to work through that feeling? The big motivation in the beginning is how your inner world is progressing in this life. In other words, as an, as an analogy, if you're in a stormy sea and you're drowning and I throw you a life preserver, you're going to grab that. You're going to be very thankful for that. You're not going to worry about what the stock market is doing today or what you're going to get for your birthday. <laughs> you want that life preserver. And it's the same thing. Here, when someone is in a rocky relationship and is stuck for the decision phase, they need the life preserver. And that's why we ask, well, how is life going for you now? And if the person says, I'm tired, I'm discouraged, uh, I, my hope is down, we say, we do have a life preserver for you. And it's been empirically tested, and it's called forgiveness. Would you like to try it? Virtually everybody does. I actually can't remember in any of our studies where someone said, well, I hear what you're saying, but it's not for me. That's never happened. And we've been doing this work for 36 years. So the life preserver theme seems to work well when people are drowning in their own sorrow, their own depression, their own anger. And that's something you can kind of ask yourself of like, hey, let me grab on to this life preserver. I've been feeling a ton of resentment towards my partner. That's kind of the self-talk. Yep, that's the self-talk. I need that life preserver. Sometimes people need a friend or a therapist to remind them that there is such a thing as forgiveness. Because honestly, the tragedy of forgiveness for me is it has not been given enough emphasis in families or communities at all when it really is curative for relationship problems and mental health issues. It has not been given what it deserves. Can you talk a little bit about what people go through when they choose not to forgive and what that can do to somebody? Yes. See, we, we can actually chart that through what we call our control groups. Because when we do our studies, we randomize people into the experimental group where they go through this map of forgiveness that we call the process model. And the control group doesn't do that yet. But then eventually we do give the control group the forgiveness work after the experimental group ends. Here's a classic example of that. Suzanne Friedman, who's now a professor at the University of Northern Iowa, did a very courageous study of incest survivors for her doctoral dissertation at our University of Wisconsin-Madison. She had 12 incest survivors, and she asked, would you be willing to join a forgiveness intervention with me? And every one of them said, they were very kind. They said, I'll join, but I'll never forgive that guy. 
And so I'm going to be the one to ruin your study. Do you still want me? And Suzanne, with her knowing smile, said yes. So six of them met one-on-one with Suzanne for about an hour once a week for over a year, 54 sessions. The others were free to seek therapy on their own or heal however they wished as the control group. At the end of that year, those who had the forgiveness intervention with the process model went from clinically depressed. That's, in other words, when a mental health professional looks at their scores in depression, there would be concern, to non-depressed. It's not that they just improved in depression, but they're still depressed. They literally cured the depression. The control group were still clinically depressed. They then went through the forgiveness program for a year, and they became non-depressed. And then we assessed the first group that did not have forgiveness for a full year now, and they were still non-depressed. So it was not just a short-term kind of palliative intervention where they were non-depressed and they went right back to depression after a while. No, they were cured of their depression, and the control group couldn't get rid of theirs until they had forgiveness. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving relationship advice listeners 10% off when you visit Hero. Dot co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing, and they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and high in fiber. I'm not gonna lie. Their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was hero bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any hero bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab and go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code IDO at checkout. That's IDO at H E R O.com. 
www.thrivingmom.co. If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. What does it look like when a therapist walks someone through the four phases? Obviously, if it's throughout the course of a year, it's intensive. But how are therapists assisting people in forgiveness process? Well, there are a number of different roadmaps out there. Ours is just one of those. And there are different self-help books. But what I recommend if people want to use the process model is they get one of my self-help books, such as Forgiveness is a Choice, published by the American Psychological Association. The therapist have one book, the client have a book, and they work through the process a little at a time, chapter by chapter, without a timeline on that until this client begins to show motion toward improvement in mental health. And then we're going to concentrate on relational health as well. And so I'm very thankful to the American Psychological Association for publishing several of my books on leading people through forgiveness. And for example, we just used another one of my books, this one by Norton. It's called Eight Keys to Forgiveness with men in maximum security prison. In other words, what they have done to get them in front of the law is very, very serious. And they worked through this for six months through this book. And they too went from clinically angry, anxious, and depressed to normal levels. And so they can use the words of the printed matter in these books to heal. The process, just as you've taken us through, seems super valuable. And you've mentioned this studies like very intense issues that people are dealing with, like incest. How can couples use this? And and I'm I kind of obviously see the value. If if the better we're at at forgiving, especially little things, like the happier we're gonna be, our relationship is gonna not have as many hiccups if we can just forgive simple things but sometimes it's so hard <laughs> you know we're in a bad mood and we want to hold on to that thing our partner says so how would you tell couples to look at forgiveness and in, in the phases to be able to easily apply like on a day-to-day -day basis for 
the seemingly smaller things. Right. First of all, I would urge people to understand what forgiveness is without distorting it. In other words, forgiveness is not just moving on or letting it go. If you ask most people, they would tell you that's what forgiveness is because we haven't had these kind of discussions as we're having here today that are deep. And that's sad. And so I'd say, get to know what forgiveness is. You've been treated unjustly. You're trying to get rid of resentment. And you're trying to offer goodness to the one who hurt you. And you won't be excusing. You won't be forgetting. uh, You won't be abandoning justice. And you may or may not reconcile. Know that, okay? Then you can make a commitment to what we call uh, the family as forgiveness community. And so the commitment there is we are going to try and make forgiveness a part of our life. So we might talk over the dinner table at what happened today at work, for example, and someone had difficulty with the boss and what happened there, or the children, what happened on the playground with someone who tripped them. And so you don't have to do that often, but you can keep it fresh and in front of people. You might be watching a film. And so often films start with something rather tame and then there's escalation of conflict and then they resolve the conflict. And you could ask, well, what would have happened if right as the conflict happened, they forgave one another? And that might be very interesting for the spouse to think about or for the children to think about. And here's something else, though, Chase, that I think is very important, that most couples don't realize. Almost everybody who is married brings excess baggage into that marriage from the family of origin. We all bring certain patterns and woundedness from the family of origin, and we replay them. And so what I do when I talk about people who are newly married or need a booster shot of their marriage, I say this. First of all, both of you humbly think about what wounds you suffered in childhood and adolescence that you are now bringing to this relationship. And both of you do that. Then they have a thoroughgoing, honest, heartfelt discussion about how each one has brought wounds into the relationship and wounded the other. And each asks for forgiveness, and each probably will be ready to give that forgiveness and see the spouse in an entirely new way. Not someone who just has certain annoying habits, but things that are struggles for that person. And after that, see, that kind of cleanses the past. And so both are now aware of the trigger point, so to speak, from the past, so they don't continue being in that relationship. Then going with the family as forgiving community could bear much fruit in terms of happiness and deeper love and commitment and respect. Because now you can concentrate on the present issues rather than the past issues of which we weren't even aware, constantly picking away at our happiness. Wow, Robert, that is a great outline for couples to think about and for individuals to think about. And we could just talk to you for several episodes (laughs) about this because it's so fascinating. And yeah, you are 
really the original researcher into this field. So we appreciate you sharing your knowledge and all the work that you've done. Let's wrap up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you online. And if there's anything you'd like to leave them with, or maybe something you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. People can find me on our not-for-profit organization called the International Forgiveness Institute at internationalforgiveness.com. And we have a lot of question and answers and blogs. I also am a regular blogger for the national psychology magazine, Psychology Today. My blog site there is called The Forgiving Life. That's actually one of my books, the title of one of my books with the American Psychological Association. And I would like to leave your listeners with one thought about what I call legacy. Usually when we use that word, legacy usually means what physically do you leave to others when you pass away, like your rocking chair or your bank account. I'm now talking about the abstract or the intangible of anger or love. Most people don't realize it, but they indeed can leave a legacy of anger in the world if they have dumped the truck of their own discontent onto their children, who now do that to their own children, who do that to their own children, so that your own children's children's children are still harboring your anger in their lives. But if you can learn to forgive, cleanse yourself of that anger, and now approach others more with seeing their own suffering and offer them love in place of that anger. You know, your love could be inside of your children who pass that love to their children, who pass the love to their children, so that when you are no longer in this world, for many, many years, even a hundred years, your love could be alive and well in the hearts of those who've come after you. And so forgiveness basically brings us to a crossroads where we can go to the one side where we keep angry and make others angry where they inherit that, or we make the radical heroic turn to forgiveness and love, loving others who not necessarily deserve it because of how they've treated us, but paradoxically we do it nonetheless, and the love lives on in our children's children's children. Which would you choose? Well, that's so beautiful. Thank you for leaving us with that as parents. I know it's both very important for the legacy that we leave with our daughter, Stella. So thank you so much for for ending us with that. And we'll have the links to your books and your blog in the show notes and in the podcast description. And thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. It's been my honor. Thank you, Sarah and Chase, for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show, guys. As always, the links will be in the podcast description as well as on the show notes on our website at idopodcast.com. And while you're on our website, we hope you guys check out our free 14-day happy couple challenge. Uh, It's a challenge where we send you a daily email for 14 days with easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And it's honestly just a whole lot of fun to do with your partner. It's something new and we think you guys will really enjoy it. So check it out. And while you're on the website, 
there are tons of free resources as well as more information about our online course, Spark My Relationship, where our listeners can get $100 off. So check that out. You can go directly to the course website at sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. And that's where you can get the $100 off. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next week. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com